0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to Season 5 of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Alexia Gordon, award-winning author and host of the show. Every other Thursday, I chat with an author writing on the not-so-gritty end of the crime fiction spectrum. If you prefer your mystery without hardcore sex and violence, join us in The Cozy Corner. Welcome. Welcome listeners to The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. Today, Ellen Byron, who also writes as Maria DeRico, joins me in the corner to chat about her Christmas-themed cozy, It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Murder. Welcome back, Ellen. Hi, thank you so much for having me back. To start with, would you please tell us about It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Murder? What's happening to make Christmas less than merry?
1: Well, what's happening is that uh, Mia um, Karina, my protagonist, and her father are running uh, the Bellevue Banquet Hall with its lovely view of the Flushing Marina and a uh, Flushing Marina. There's no that there. I'm constantly reminded. And the LaGuardia landing pattern. Um, and uh, sidebar, um, that is where my husband and I, That it was literally run by family cousins. And that's where my husband and I had our East Coast reception, wedding reception. Um, and so it's around Christmas, and so she's very busy doing um, all kinds of parties, one of which is a nativity where the family insists they wanted to have, I mean, it's not nativity, it's first birthday where the family insists the theme be, um, the, the nativity with them dressed as Mary and Joseph and the baby is the baby Jesus, which, uh, Mia thinks is a little extreme and a bit inappropriate until she finds out a little bit more at the end, you know, a bit of a feel good moment, why they, this is important to them. Um, and she's also doing a sweet 16, which is just becoming a nightmare of all nightmares. Um, but in the meantime, in the middle of this, uh, she gets a call from, uh, Donnie Boldano, who's the boss of the Baldano mob family, and her father is a lieutenant in that family, but he does not want to um, do crime-related things anymore, and he's running the, the. Um, he got the Bellevue as payment for it debt uh from a gambler one of the gambling games he ran and he has to run it as a legitimate business which is actually true the mob doesn't just have criminal activities they have legitimate businesses too and she's very happy about that because that's the life he wants to lead now and that's the life she wants him to lead anyway but donnie is still their uh overall boss and um, she's very close to one of his sons, uh, Jamie, who is not following that path at all. And um, she gets a call that there is someone pretend who says he is Jamie's long lost brother, which, of course, brings up two things. One, is he for real? And two, why would he have, uh, you know, Donnie, Big Donnie is uh, married for a long time. So what does this mean in terms of how did this son come to be? Um And so they ask Mia to help deal with this and help, you know, address, uh, let Jamie know, um, about what's going on and why it went on and that he is not, this is news to Jamie that he's not a full on, uh, Boldano. So, uh, and that they kept the secret that he was actually adopted and they kept the secret from him for years. So everything explodes and it's a huge drama and, um, and uh of course and meanwhile uh mia's nonna is uh she and her seniors they're like senior mean girls and they compete every christmas for the most decorated house uh decorated block in the neighborhood and it's also a fundraiser for good causes but there's a very mean woman uh who's who's elizabeth's enemy, and she's a braggart this woman because her husband is a distant cousin of the native son of astoria tony bennett and this woman has as part of her decoration a excuse me a tony bennett santa which is tony bennett dressed as santa crooning christmas tunes and anima, an animatronic tool you know a, a display and um so that's going on so all the blocks are decorated with an inch of their life and uh at the unveiling of one of the houses um which has gone over the top um at, at, across the street there they noticed that there were feet sticking out of Santa's workshop and those feet do not belong to Santa and they belong to a murder victim. And so Mia then is plunged into figuring out who did it and um, making sure that none of the Baldanos are accused of this because he was the person masquerading as um, a Jamie's long lost brother
0: that you mentioned uh, you know the the scene where uh Mia's kind of discussing some of the, th- the themes for these these over the top parties so where would you get those ideas or were they from real parties you attended well you know the first birthday party yeah i grew up
1: you know my mom's italian she was born there and we had family members coming over from italy Um, up until like the mid, I think the last, I think Roberto came over in the mid sixties, but so, you know, she came to America in 1930 and then, you know, a bunch of Italians came and then the war happened. And so many people got stuck in Ostonia during the war, which is a little town she was from a little village in the mountains. And, um. And then more people came over after and cousins ran um, the Grand May Marina, which is now serves as Bellevue Banquet Hall in my books, and also the Astoria Manor, both of which are still there. Um, Astoria Manor is a slight different name and the other one is a completely different name. And they're, the cousins are long out of the picture. But growing up, my life was, you know, a sea of uh, Italian events in Astoria. It was, um, you know, birthdays, first birthdays. In fact, I, one of my cousins uh, had a, a first birthday at the Knights of Columbus in a story and I brought a friend from New York, you know, a, a, a kind of waspy friend and and she was like in shock. And another, there's another first birthday, and I brought another friend. And and to this day they talk, you know, they talk about those first birthdays. As like in awe, so um, I went to you know funeral lunches, uh, weddings, engagement parties, communions, first birthday, anniversaries. You no know, big. Hey, my we had nonna's 80th. My nun, my personal nonna's 80th birthday um, was at the Astoria Manor. So um, so there was you know that was yes very much part of my growing up and my childhood. There's no. always the big the big church wedding. At one of my and then you know it's there's this Italian saying called bella figura, which is kind of like putting forth you know a a a good image. And so occasionally cousins would try to top each other. And the cousin who the one cousin who did had got married at St Patrick's Cathedral with a white limousine to escort her after the escort them after the ceremony. And it was so wild to be at St Pat's, you know, because I lived in Manhattan, of course I was, um, and to be at St Pat's, you know, which I. Which only you know so you're sitting there and you're in the you're there for this wedding, and then tourists are coming in and out, and you know you have like a people watching and people on the steps and it was like I felt like one of you know this is before reality t v but it felt like I was part of a reality show
0: but some people put a lot of emotional energy into their their parties and events and so how does how does the the tension of having someone who sort of has to plan the the perfect event for people who are so emotionally invested in it, kind of play into the suspense of a murder mystery.
1: Well, it, you know, um, it, it plays, it adds the tension because it's like, you know, that thing where you're rubbing your stomach and patting your head at the same time, you know, Mia, my intrepid, uh, I love my Mia, I have to say, um, and she's, you know, she has to manage all this stuff. So at the same time, she's trying to, you know, keep the family out of trouble and, and, you know, and help solve, uh, you know, a. Uh, uh, a a murder investigation that that could bring could destroy the business at the at the very at at some point if anything happened to the the top family the business go down and then her father could end up you know back doing what things that he doesn't want to do anymore and she doesn't want him to do anymore um and so so there's that and then it's also you know event planning is i think uh, I I interviewed a woman I know from my daughter's middle school who worked at a local place, and she was great. And she let me tour it and and talked. And you know, it's a combination of the best and worst of people's lives. You know, and um, she was great because she gave me a, a grade for my first book. Here comes the body. Um, she said, uh, the, "When you're doing a wedding, the person who can be the most difficult to deal with is the groom's mother, um, because um, they're really kind of peripheral." And sometimes they don't like that, you know, because it's the bride's family paying for it and planning it and everything, and and so, um, so I actually created a, 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 you know, a groomzilla, a groom's motherzilla for the first book. Um, but here, you know, it's it's it was fun because she had to deal as teenager, and you know, I have a daughter who's twenty one you know, not far removed from her teen years. And I know the hell that was. And, you know, she, there weren't big swings at 16s here. That wasn't cool. But, you know, I know the dynamics. And of course, my cousins, the Italian cousins, their kids all had them. Um, So I could really write into that. And so at the same time, Mia is trying to solve this, you know, murder and keep people and herself out of trouble. She's dealing with this poor 16-year-old girl who's calling her with these, you know, like, Tiffany stole my theme. I have no theme now. And, and, you know, of course, at this point, Mia's burned through eight, you know, every theme she can think of, you know, for um, for this party. So she's like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? And, but one thing I did that I'm very proud of um, is, you know, the, for this uh, first birthday, um, they want a living nativity as part of this. So she and you know, her co-workers, they have to track down um, animals, you know, that would be a, like, a, including a camel, like goats and pigs and, you know, sheep and and um, a camel. And um, and so, you know, and it's, it's Christmas time when living nativities, it's not so hard to find these animals. But I did something that I'm, I will, I think forever be proud of as an author is that I somehow found a way to connect the animals from the living nativity for the first birthday to the sweet 16 party and, end, you know, and be the final beat and a story beat in the sweet, in the sweet 16 party. So, uh, so the, I, the camel connection, the camel connection, that's, that's a great thing. And it involves a pregnant pig, pygmy goat. <laughs> so that I thought I was like, okay, I should stop writing right now. Cause I don't,
0: I don't know if I can top this. <laughs> There are truly really not many authors that can uh, say that uh, a pregnant pygmy goat played an important role in their cozy murder mystery.
1: And two, and the two, and two uh, tied into
0: two subplots. <laughs> now, you, you've also told us a lot about uh, New York and the uh, things in New York that sort of you know formed influences for your, for your yes. series. And you know, this is this isn't the sort of glitzy midtown Manhattan that a lot of us think of when we hear yeah. New York City. So how does how does your New York setting make its beginning to look a lot like murder unique? Because it is very much a New York mystery.
1: Yes. Um, you know, and she does go into Manhattan specifically. And what's fun for me is that this is so inspired by my life. Um, you know, she lives where my nonna lived and my NCC Rose and Uncle Henry, they lived upstairs with their four kids and nonna lived downstairs. And so, you know, when Mia takes the subway to Manhattan and then takes the subway home, she's walking, you know, the blocks I walked and the the path I walked. Um, Of course, the story has changed tremendously. I mean, you know, it was a very blue collar neighborhood going, you know, growing up. Um, and then it you know became now it's very gentrified, and I write to that in the first book in the series. Um, you know and, and it's very multicultural. like I didn't even know you know I, I was there a couple of before the pandemic, but I didn't even realize like there's a big Egyptian community there. There's always been a huge um, uh, Greek community. Um, they kind of supplanted the original Italian community in many ways. But so it's very multicultural. It's very gentrifying. Um, but the thing about New York that people, I think, don't realize um, who think of this monolithic city is that New York is one of the most neighborhood places you can imagine. Um, you you know everywhere is a pocket of neighborhood. When I lived on the Upper West Side, it was such a little community and neighborhood. You know, you know your great green grocer. I went back. I did a um, a book signing at, at a, in my old neighborhood in 2019. Um, and I went back and I went to my old Zingoni's, the old, one of the uh, mom and pop groceries I used to go to. And the guy was like, Hey, how you doing? He greeted me. Like, I haven't lived there. I, uh, you know, I've been back and forth, but basically I haven't lived there since 1990. Same guy running the store guy recognizes me. <laughs> um, so, you know, and, and that's the sense that I created, that I really tried to create in um, in this series, that that it, this is a little cozy neighborhood. Um, you know, It's it doesn't look like a bucolic, you know, St. Mary Mead. You know, uh, Mark Baker, who has Carstairs considered uh, that blog, um, he wrote, you know, when he reviewed the book, he was very clear about how it ticked off the boxes for a cozy, and I really appreciated that. Um, cause I think that's, uh, you know, important. And of course, drew, uh, drew, drew in love with Drew's book musing has done the same in some, and she, you know, they, they get it, you know, drew Mark, um, you know, these important uh, book bloggers get it. And, um, so it figures in, and creating a, you know, showing people that you can have a sense of community. And then when she goes into Manhattan, um, and there's a whole runner in the first book where everyone goes, well, I'm going to the city. And she keeps going, Queens is the city. Because when you live in the uh, what they call the outer boroughs, which are the boroughs that are in Manhattan, you know, you grow up like once you meet someone else from the city and they are and and meeting the general city and they go oh which borough and they say manhattan you will like oh you're cooler than me you know and there's a whole expression bridge and tunnel which was a derogatory expression meaning people who came into manhattan via either a bridge or a tunnel and so if you were in queens you were bridge and tunnel that's how you got into the city Um, But what's really fun, like I'm working on the fourth book in the series. And I, um, in June, when I was, when uh, I was there, I went to this new thing that's just been created called Little Island. And um, Dionne von Furstenberg and Barry Barry, uh, Diller's foundation literally built this little island that's right like off the pier where um actually the white star and cunard line piers once where those boats where the carpathia came in with the people who survived the titanic sinking and um and it's right next to that area and it's this amazing like manufactured but fabulous little islands and i took the most amazing pictures so mia goes there someone wants to meet here so i thought oh, i'm gonna write this into a book so um so i get to write that in and um you know, I get I get to a relive my life in one of my two favorite places on Earth, the other being New Orleans. And um, and I get to to celebrate uh, a city that in aspects of the city that people may not be that familiar with um, you know, at the bakery where Mia buys her baked goods is the real, that's the one real place, La Gouley. That's where we grew up, La Gulli Pasticceria. And that's where we g- grew up getting our, you know, there are other bakeries like the Story Bakery that are very good, but that's the, that's been around almost a hundred years. And, you know, so it was really, um, special to me to introduce people to this world. And it's not, it's not like, like I said, it's not Saint Mary Mead. It's very working class. They, you know, these are two-family brick homes, rows of them. You know, kind of storefronts and, and that kind of like I don't know what what, what am I thinking? Saturday Night Fever. Like when the guy's going to Brooklyn and he's you know he's that opening staying alive. You know, those are the kind of storefronts you see there when he's walking past. So um, you know as my agent, I, I tried, I, it, when I first wrote the series, I was trying to really like make it as cozy as possible. I said, the charming, you know, homes. And, and my, my agent was like, I lived in a story. It's not that charming. <laughs> so I took out charming, but it still create a sense of community, a sense of place. And, you know, and nobody in, like, like Diker Heights is a section of Brooklyn that goes over the top for Christmas decorations. And, um, and so I kind of copped that a little, although, believe me, a story around second to none, and it's that kind of enthusiasm and energy, you know, I go on a Christmas decoration, I call it my decoration crawl every year. And I used to bring my kid and my husband and they got tired of it. So then I recruited friends and we finish it with a bar stop and that's, you know, the fun, but they didn't know because, you know, where we live in studio city in California is very kind of like upscale and in its own way and, and doesn't go big for, for the holidays. So, but I would find, I found pockets like in North Hollywood, there were streets that went big and Burbank right next door. Um, they go big. So, um, and I, it's like, I love that. So anyway, I think I got off topic. Sorry.
0: Well, actually, leads to my next topic. Uh, you know, part of as you mentioned, New York's a city of neighborhoods, and part of what contributes to that neighborhood uh, flavor in your book is the Christmas decoration competition. Now, I, I'm sure, you no know, most of us can think of uh, you know a, a movie or a story or two where uh, you know people get into you know knockdown dragouts over who's got the the best Christmas displays. So, yeah. what are some of the best displays you've seen and which ones influenced uh, your your book
1: in Burbank on a street called Florence um, is this incredible uh, I I'll I've, I'll send you some pictures um, is this incredible display I mean they go far out and I discuss, I don't even remember how I found it but when Eliza was little and my my we bring my, you know, family, my dad he passed away in 2005, but before, when we, you know, Eliza was born in 2000. So those years and while he was still us, they come visit for the holidays and we go there and then I would start looking around at other houses, but that house and my dad who, who was Jewish, just, he went crazy. He loved it. And in recent years, what's really cute and funny um, is that uh, they, you know, I took pictures of this house, of course, and then I noticed the house next door just had a big arrow lit up pointing to the overly decorated, the giant decorated house. And all the arrow said was ditto. So that was their decoration, (laughs) which I thought was so smart and so clever. Um, And so, and then there are a lot of those in, in Burbank that um, there's one house that has, they turn their roof into like a gingerbread roof. Like it looks like, you know, those gumdrops and those, those like kind of, rounded tiles with gumdrops on them you know, i love that that influenced me um, then there was one house where you could dial in you know uh, there was a sign in front of the house that had all kinds of decorations and like tune in to blah blah on your radio and so you could tune in on your car and listen to the music
0: uh-huh. um
1: so um, I love that and we used to go they turn in in Griffith Park there's a section they they have a little railroad and they would do like a North Pole visit and it would be dark and at night and you know you'd feel like you were really going it was of course just going in an oblong but you know you go visit Santa and I've realized with pictures of Santa and um and uh so, uh, and it, it, it always felt like you were going somewhere at night. And then during the day I looked at it, you know, I drove by it once. I thought, wait, this is like nothing. It's just a little, there's nothing there, but they somehow managed to create this wonderful sense. Um, this wonderful sense of you were actually going to the North Pole or somewhere. So I think those are the ones that, even though they're out here in California, they're the ones that I could go to myself and they, you know, they really influenced me. And then of course, you know, I, I checked out, Pictures of diker you know heights and um you know and queens and and just all that stuff, and it's fun because in my book it's the seniors, it's the old ladies who who do this who get well they get they don't do it themselves they get their you know they they browbeat their offspring into doing it, <laughs> but to create it was really fun to kind of create like mean girls like one block they have their clique and they're like you know. Because this woman is distantly related by marriage, not even herself, to Tony Bennett, who, by the way, is from Astoria, and my mother went to high school with him, although he was ahead of her a little bit. Um, You know, so you know, I loved creating that sense of like mean girl cliques, but making it, you know, these women who are like in their eighties and seventies, eighties and nineties.
0: But speaking of Tony Bennett, I will admit that I started listening to Christmas music the minute the uh, Macy's parade ended. <laughs> uh, so if, if you were glad you'd create a, a playlist for it's beginning to look a lot like murder, uh, what are some of the songs you'd include on it?
1: Oh, it? I'll t- hold on a second. But first I had, speaking of the, You said the Macy's parade. Um, there's this thing in New York. And I used to drive a friend of mine who actually was not a native. It moved her that um, that we would call it the Macy's day parade. And she goes, it's not Macy's day. It's Ma- Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's a Macy's Thanksgiving day parade. But we were just like, Oh, it's the Macy's day Parade." So it was like, and yeah, I'm sure Macy's love the publicity. So, oh, and by the way, another sidebar I lived, my apartment was literally two blocks up from the Museum of Natural History. And that's where they blow up the balloons. And they blow them up on this, they close the streets on either side of the museum and lay out the balloons and blow them up the night before the parade. And so I, you know, in the late seventies when I was just out of college stuff, I, I would, someone introduced me to this and we'd go and no one was there. It was just the locals. And then during the time I lived there, it became this giant production where suddenly there were food stands and thousands of people. And I really missed like the early days when no one knew about it. I would go to that uh, every night, but I was, I literally never went to the parade. Because I was always sleeping in the next day, but one of my favorites. there's a little coffee shop, and we go hang out. I remember at two in the morning, we looked outside, and suddenly the Santa sleigh was zooming down Columbus Avenue because obviously it was late to the uh, parade setup. <laughs> oh, can you hold on a sec? Can we? You can. You, uh, Jar? Okay. So, in terms of a playlist, it would absolutely have Tony Bennett on it. It would have just the classics. It would have one of my um Have Yourself, a, uh, you know, Have your, uh, Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. I have to sing it. Yeah, I love that song. It my, I'll be home for Christmas. Those are the ones that make me cry. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Um, I would also have, you know, "Rocking Around the Christmas Tree and Jingle Bow Rock, some of the fun stuff. Um, I, I don't think it would have. Um, I've come to like the Mariah Carey song. Um, all I want is for Christmas for you, but I've never loved it, you know, or last Christmas, you know, the, the um, George Michael song. I, I don't think, I think I would stick to more of the classics. Let it snow. Um, uh, um, oh, silver bells. It's Christmas time in the city. Of course, a sleigh ride. Um, and then a lot of, um, the, you know, the stuff we sing Christmas Eve, uh, services, I, I'm the only, cause I was raised without a religion. Um, my dad was, didn't follow, um, he you know believed in never you know buying products from germany i hope i'm not offending by saying that because it was you know the carryover from world war ii um and my mom's whole family is roman catholic except for her because her father was an anarchist and while he was alive they did not practice religion and she was married when he passed away and then of course my nonna went they literally lived across the street from the church so she went right back to the church and as did my mom's younger brother who married a nice catholic italian girl um, so I didn't, but my mom and I would go to Christmas Eve services, you know, from my teen years on, cause I really loved the feeling of them. And we'd go to candlelight services Um, and, uh, I kind of brought that tradition, you know, to my husband and daughter and then like the Christmas tree decorating, you know, tours that I like to go on, they kind of like bailed on it. So I go by myself, um, to the Unitarian church in studio city, which is this kind of lovely, very simple space that reminds me of new England. Um, so I would include, you know, the songs, uh, uh, um, you know, silent night, holy night, um, Three Kings of Orient, I would I'd make a very traditional playlist, you know, one that makes you think of a fire burning and a Christmas tree and snow outside, which I haven't seen in 30 years <laughs> and just a really traditional Christmas. The other thing I do now, I do. I seem to spend a lot of my doing my lot of my holiday celebrations on my own. <laughs> Um, you know, I love it. It's, and it's something my mom, again, my mom and I would do, um, is I love to watch Christmas movies. It used to be white Christmas. I watched that all the time. And then I got into the 1950 or 51, uh, Christmas Carol with Alistair Sim. So I watched that Christmas Eve and I love
0: that. And so, you know, another uh, Christmas tradition for a lot of us is is uh, reading Christmas murder mysteries. So, ah. where can, can readers looking to build on that tradition of of murder for Christmas uh, buy a, a copy of it? It's beginning to look a lot like murder. They can buy the co-
1: a copy of it um, at any of your local bookstores, and if they don't have it, they can order it. Um, or if they want to do a shop online, it's it's available everywhere. And and like I said, if it's if it's not in stock, it should be. It's easy to get. Kensington has great distribution. Um, and by the way, I'll, I'll throw in that I actually also wrote, um, as Ellen Byron with my Cajun Country Mysteries, I wrote a uh, another Christmas theme mystery, a Cajun Christmas Killing, and that revolves around um, some very specific uh, Louisiana Christmas traditions. Um, so, uh, but you can get. It's beginning to look like a lot, a lot like murder. At your favorite stores. And as someone pointed out, um, it's those, it's a paperback, so it's very affordable and could also be a great stocking stuffer.
0: That's, um, a stocking stuffer or even under the tree, on the tree, yes, nearby yes. the tree? <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly. You can print out a little cover, miniaturize it and turn it into a Christmas ornament, which I do. I've turned all my book covers into Christmas ornaments.
0: And where can readers connect with you this this holiday season to send Christmas wishes your way and, and get some more tips for uh, murder-themed Christmas ornaments and uh, ah. so hear some more uh, Christmas stories?
1: Well, they they can connect with me. I, I send out a monthly newsletter, and the next one should be going out December 5th. I'm not sure when this will air. But um, so EllenByron.com or MariaDorigo.com or CateringHallMysteries.com or... Um, Asian country mysteries.com, any of those will take you to me. Um, but if you remember just mariajorico.com or ellenbyron.com, um, those will take you to me. And I also blog at Chicks at the Case, Chicks on the Case, sorry, Chicks on the Case as the blog I belong to. And on Facebook, I'm a member of the Cozy Mystery Crew, which is a group of uh, 12 cozy authors. And we, um, we host uh, every, someone's hosting. Oh, five days a week, um, and we do lots. We do Christmas contests. Um, I'm also going to be doing um, a couple of virtual appearances: one through Creating Conversations, and um, I think on December seventh, and one on December first at uh, um, Belmont Books. Edith uh, Maxwell, uh, aka Maddie Day, and I will be chatting. And um, I'm on Facebook. I have an author page on Facebook. You can follow me on BookBub, Goodreads, and Amazon. Um, and Instagram. So all those locations, if you just look for either Ellen Byron or Maria Dorico, you will find me somewhere.
0: Well, thank you very much for taking time out from your holiday preparations to chat with me today, Ellen. Thank you. Thank you, Alexia. And have a fabulous Christmas yourself. And everyone listening,
1: have a fabulous Christmas and holiday or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, whatever it is you celebrate. Please, please have a wonderful, safe holiday.
0: My guest today was Ellen Byron, who also writes as Maria DeRico. We've been chatting about it's beginning to look a lot like murder. I'm your host, Alexia Gordon. Thanks for listening and happy holidays. Thank you for listening to the Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm Alexia Gordon, award winning author and host of the show. Tune in next time for another chat with an author writing on the lighter side of crime. Until then, goodbye.